Section sixty nine of London Labour and the London Poor by Henry Mayhew, Volume One. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Peter Yearsley. The Street Folk, Part sixty nine of the street sellers of boot and stay laces and so on like many street callings which can be started on the smallest means and without any previous knowledge of the article sold being necessary to the street vendor the boot and stay lace trade has very many followers i here speak of those who sell boot laces and subsist or endeavour to subsist by the sale without mixing it up with begging the majority indeed the great majority of these street traders are women advanced in years and perhaps i may say the whole of them are very poor an old woman said to me i just drag on sir half starving on a few bootlaces rather than go into the workhouse and i know numbers doing the same the laces are bought at the haberdashery swag shops i have spoken of and amongst these old women i found the term swag shop as common as among men who buy largely at such establishments the usual price for bootlaces to be sold in the streets is one penny a dozen each lace is tagged at both ends sufficing for a pair of boots the regular retail price is three a penny but the lace sellers are not unfrequently compelled to give four or lose a customer a better quality is sold at a penny halfpenny and twopence a dozen but these are seldom meddled with by the street lace sellers it is often a matter of strong endeavour for a poor woman to make herself mistress of elevenpence the whole of which she can devote to the purchase of bootlaces as for elevenpence she can procure a gross so saving one penny in twelve dozen the stay laces which are bought at the same places and usually sold by the same street traders are twopence and twopence halfpenny the dozen i am told that there are as many of the higher as of the lower priced stay laces bought for street sale because one of the street sellers told me there's a great many servant girls and others too that's very particular about their stay laces the stay laces are retailed at a halfpenny each these articles are vended at street stalls along with other things for female use but the most numerous portion of the lace sellers are itinerant walking up and down a street market or going on a round in the suburbs calling at every house where they are known or where as one woman expressed it we make bold to venture those frequenting the street markets or other streets or thoroughfares usually carry the bootlaces in their hands and the stay laces round their necks and offer them to the females passing their principal customers are the working classes the wives and daughters of small shopkeepers and servant maids ladies of course said one lace seller won't buy of us another old woman whom i questioned on the subject and who had sold laces for about fourteen years gave me a similar account but she added i've sold to high up people though only two or three weeks back a fine-dressed servant maid stopped me and said here i must have a dozen bootlaces for mistress and she says she'll only give threepence for them as it's a dozen at once a mean creature she is it's grand doings before faces and pinchings behind backs at our house among the lace sellers having rounds in the suburbs are some who have known better days one old woman had been companion and housekeeper to a lady who died in her arms and whose legacy to her companion servant enabled her to furnish a house handsomely this she let out in apartments at 
high figures, and anything like a regular payment by her lodgers would have supplied her with a comfortable maintenance. But fine gentlemen and fine ladies, too, went away in her debt. She became involved, her furniture was seized, and step by step she was reduced to bootlace selling. Her appearance is still that of the old school. She wears a very large bonnet of faded black silk, a shawl of good material, but old and faded, and always a black gown. The poor woman told me that she never ventured to call even at the houses where she was best received, if she saw any tax-gatherer go to or from the house. "'I know very well what it is,' she continued. "'It's no use my calling. They're sure to be cross, and the servants will be cross too, because their masters or mistresses are cross with them.' If the tax-gatherer's not paid, they're cross at being asked. If he is paid, they're cross at having had to part with their money. I've paid taxes myself. The dress of the boot-lace sellers generally is that of poor elderly women, for the most part perhaps a black chip or old straw bonnet, often broken, and a dark-coloured cotton gown. Their abodes are in the localities in all parts of the metropolis, which I have frequently specified as the abodes of the poor. They live most frequently in their own rooms, but the younger, and perhaps I may add coarser, of the number resort to lodging-houses. It is not very uncommon, I was told, by one of the class, for two poor women, bootlace sellers or in some similar line, to join in a room so saving half the usual rent of one shilling and sixpence for an unfurnished room. This arrangement, however, is often of short duration. There is always arising some question, I was told, about the use or wear of this utensil or the other, or about washing, or about wood and coals, if one street-seller returns an hour or two before her companion. This is not to be wondered at, when we bear in mind that, to these people, Every farthing is of consequence. From all that I can learn, the bootlace sellers, I speak of the women, are poor and honest, and that, as a body, they are little mixed up with dishonest characters and dishonest ways. The exceptions are, I understand, among some hale persons, such as I have alluded to as sojourning in the lodging-houses. Some of these traders receive a little parochial relief. One intelligent woman could count up one hundred persons, depending chiefly upon the sale of boot and stay laces, in what she called her own neighbourhood. This comprised Leather Lane, Hoburn, Tottenham Court Road, the Hampstead Road, and all the adjacent streets. From the best data at my command, I believe there are not fewer than five hundred individuals selling these wares in London. Several lace-sellers agreed in stating that they sold a dozen bootlaces a day and a dozen stay-laces, and two dozen extra on Saturday nights. But the drawbacks of bad weather and so on reduce the average sale to not more than six dozen a week, or 1,872,000 bootlaces in a year, at an outlay to the public of £3,900 yearly, from half to three-fourths of the receipts being the profit of the street-sellers. The same quantity of stay-laces, sold at sixpence a dozen, shows an outlay of £3,900, with about an equally proportional profit to the sellers. Most of these traders sell tapes and other articles as well as laces. The tapes cost threepence and threepence halfpenny the dozen, and are sold at a halfpenny a knot. 
a dozen in two days is an average sale but i have treated more expressly of those who depend principally upon bootlace selling for their livelihood their average profits are about three shillings a week on laces alone the trade i am told was much more remunerative a few years back and the decline was attributed to so many getting into the trade and the button boots becoming as fashionable as the adelaides of a blind female seller of small wares i now give an account of the street trade the feelings and the life of a poor blind woman who may be seen nearly every fine day selling what is technically termed small ware in leather lane hoban the street small wares are now understood to be cotton tapes pins and sewing cotton sometimes with the addition of boot and stay laces and shirt buttons i saw the blind small ware seller enter her own apartment which was on the first floor of a small house in a court contiguous to her pitch the entrance into the court was low and narrow a tall man would be compelled to stoop as he entered the passage leading into the court here were unmistakable signs of the poverty of the inhabitants soapsuds stood in the choked gutter old clothes were hung out to dry across the court one side being a dead wall and the windows were patched with paper sometimes itself patched with other paper in front of one window however was a rude gatework behind which stood a root of lavender and a campanula thriving not at all but yet with all their dinginess presenting a relief to the eye the room of the blind woman is reached by a very narrow staircase on which two slim persons could not pass each other and up old and worn stairs her apartment may be about ten feet square the window had both small and large panes with abundance of putty plastering the furniture consisted of a small round deal table on which lay the poor woman's stock of black and white tapes of shirt buttons and so on and of four broken or patched chairs there were a few motley-looking pot ornaments on the mantel-shelf in the middle of which stood a doctor's bottle the bust of a female was also conspicuous as was a tobacco-pipe above the mantelpiece hung some pictureless frames while a pair of spectacles were suspended above a little looking-glass over a cupboard was a picture of the ethiopian serenaders and on the uncoloured walls were engravings of animals apparently from some work on natural history there were two thin beds on one of which was stowed a few costermongers old baskets and old clothes women's and boys as if stowed away there to make room to stir about all the furniture was dilapidated an iron rod for a poker a pair of old tongs and a sheet-iron shovel were by the grate in which glimmered a mere handful of fire all showed poverty the rent was one shilling a week it had been one shilling and ninepence and the blind woman and a lodger paying sixpence of the rent slept in one bed while a boy occupied the other a wiry-haired dog neither handsome nor fat received a stranger note for the blind woman and her guide and lodger left their street trade at my request for their own room End note with a few querulous yelps which subsided into a sort of whining welcome to me when the animal saw his mistress was at ease the pleasure with which this poor woman received and returned the caresses of her dog was expressed in her face i may add that owing to a change of street names in that neighbourhood 
i had some difficulty in finding the small ware cellar and heard her poor neighbours speak well of her as i inquired her abode usually a good sign among the poor the blind tape seller is a tall and somewhat strongly formed woman with a good-humoured and not a melancholy expression of face though her manner was exceedingly quiet and subdued and her voice low her age is about fifty she wore what i understand is called a half-widow's cap this was very clean as indeed was her attire generally though worn and old i have already given an account of a female small ware seller which account formerly appeared in one of my letters in the morning chronicle strongly illustrating the vicissitudes of a street life it was the statement however of one who is no longer in the streets and the account given by the blind tape and pin seller is further interesting as furnishing other habitudes or idiosyncrasies of the blind or of an individual blind woman in addition to those before detailed more especially in its narrative of the feelings of a perhaps not very sensitive woman who became dark as she always called it in mature age it's five years sir she said since i've been quite dark but for two years before that i had lost the sight of one eye oh yes i had doctors but they couldn't save my eyesight i lost it after illnesses and rheumatics and from want and being miserable i felt very miserable when i first found myself quite dark as if everything was lost to me i felt as if i had no more place in the world but one gets reconciled to most things thank god in time but i'm often low and sad now living poorly and having a sickly boy to care about may be one reason as well as my blindness and being so bad off i was brought up to service and was sent before that to st andrew's school i lost my parents and friends relatives when i were young i was in my first place eighteen months and was eight or nine years in service altogether mostly as maid of all work i saved a little money and married my husband was a costermonger and we didn't do well oh dear no sir because he was addicted to drinking we often suffered great pinching i can't say as he was unkind to me he died nine years or more since after that i supported myself and two sons we had by going out to wash and chair i did that when my husband was living i had tidy work as i chaired and washed for one family in clerkenwell for ten years and might again if i wasn't dark my eldest son's now a soldier and is with his regiment at dover he's only eighteen but he could get nothing to do as hard as he tried i couldn't help him he knew no trade and so he listed poor fellow perhaps i shall never see him again oh see him that i couldn't if he was sitting as near me as you are sir but perhaps i may never hear his voice again perhaps he'll have to go abroad and be killed it's a sad thought that for a blind widow i think of it both up and in bed blind people thinks a great deal i feel they does my youngest son he's now fourteen is asthmatical but he's such a good lad so easily satisfied he likes to read if he can get hold of a penny book and has time to read it he's at a paper stainer's and works on fancy satin paper which is very obnicious note the word she used twice for pernicious or obnoxious end note to such a delicate boy he has five shillings a week but oh dear me it takes all that for his bit of clothes and soap for washing and for shoes 
and then he must carry his dinner with him every day which i make ready and as he has to work hard poor thing he requires a little meat i often frets about his being so weakly often as i stands with my tapes and pins and thinks and thinks but thank god i can still wash for him and myself and does so regularly now i can't clean my room myself but a poor woman who lives by selling bootlaces in the streets has lodged with me for many years and she helps me lives interrupted the poor bootlace woman who was present starves you mean for all yesterday i only took a farthing but anything's better than the house i'll live on fourpence a day and pay rent and all and starve half my time rather nor the great house note the union end note yes indeed resumed the blind woman for when i first went dark i was forced to send to my parish and had sixpence twice a week and a half-quartern loaf and that was only allowed for three weeks and then there was the house for me oh dear after that i didn't know what i could do to get a bit of bread at first i was so frightened and nervous i was afraid of every noise that was when i was quite dark and i am often frightened at nothing still and tremble as i stand in the lane i was at first greatly distressed and in pain and was very downhearted i was so put about that i felt as if i was a burden to myself and to everybody else if you lose your sight as i did sir when you're not young it's a long time before you learns to be blind note so she very expressly worded it End note. a friend advised me to sell tapes and cottons and bootlaces in the street as better than doing nothing and so i did but at first i was sure every minute i should be run on the poor woman that lodges with me bought some things for me where she buys her own at albion house in the borough oh i does very badly in my trade very badly i now clear only tuppence threepence or fourpence a day no i think not more than one shilling and sixpence a week that is all why one day this week i only sold a ha'porth of pins but what i make more than pays my rent and it's a sort of employment something to do and make one feel one's not quite idle i hopes to make more now that nights are getting long for i can then go into the lane leather lane of an evening and make a penny or tuppence extra i daren't go out when it's long dark evenings for the boys teases me and sometimes comes and snatches my tapes and things out of my hands and runs away and leaves me there robbed of my little stock i'm sure i don't know whether it's young thieves as does it or for what they calls a lark i only knows i loses my tapes do i complain to the police do you say sir i don't know when a policeman's passing in such a crowded place oh yes i could get people to complain for me but perhaps it would be no good and then i'm afraid of the police they're so arbitrary note her word end note it's not very long since one of them and i was told afterwards he was a sergeant too ordered me to move on i can't move on sir said i i wish i could but i must stand still for i'm blind i know that says he but you're begging no i'm not says i i'm only a-trying to sell a few little things to keep me out of the workers then what's that thing you have tied over your breast says he if you give me any more of your nonsense i'll lock you up and then he went away i'm terrified to think of being taken to the station the matter which called forth the officer's wrath was a large card tied from the poor woman's shoulders on which was printed in large letters please to buy of the poor blind ay said the blind woman's companion 
with a bitterness not uncommon on the part of street sellers on such occasions and any shopkeeper can put what notice he likes in his window that he can if it's ever such a lie and nothing said if he collects a crowd oh dear no but we mustn't say our lives is our own yes sir said the blind woman as i questioned her further there i stands and often feels as if i was half asleep or half dreaming and i sometimes hardly knows when i dreams and what i thinks and i think what it was like when i had my eyesight and was among them and what it would be like if i had my eyesight again all those people making all that noise and trying to earn a penny seems so queer and i often thinks if people suffered ever so much they had something to be thankful for if they had their eyesight if i'd been dark from a child i think i shouldn't have felt it so much it wouldn't have been like all that lost and i should be handier though i'm not bad that way as it is but i'm afraid to go out by myself where i lives there's so many brokers about i should run against their furniture i'm sometimes not spoken to for an hour and more many a day i've only took a penny then i thinks and mopes about what will become of me and thinks about my children i don't know who buys of me but i'm sure i'm very thankful to all as does they takes the things out of my hands and puts the money into them i think they're working people as buys of me but i can't be sure some speaks to me very kind and pleasant i don't think they're ladies that speaks kind my husband used to say that if ladies went to places like the lane it was on the sly to get something cheap and they didn't want to be seen there or they might be counted low i'm sure he was right and it ain't such as them as buys of a poor blind woman out of kindness no sir it's very seldom indeed that i get more than the regular price a halfpenny a knot for my tapes and a halfpenny and a farthing for pins and a halfpenny and a penny a dozen for shirt buttons and three a penny when i sell bootlaces and a halfpenny a piece when i has stay laces i sells good things i know for the friend as gets them wouldn't deceive me and i never has no complaints of them i don't know any other blind woman in the trade beside myself no i don't associate with blind people i wasn't brought up like to such a thing but i am in it by accident i can't say how many blind women there may be in my line in the streets i haven't the least notion i took little notice of them god forgive me when i had my eyesight and i haven't been thrown among them since whether there's many of them or not they're all to be pitied on a sunday i never stirs out except to chapel with my lodger or my son no sir not a roman catholic chapel but a protestant when it's not very fine weather we goes to the nearest but you hears nothing but what's good in any of them oh dear no i lives on tea and bread and butter all the week yes i can make it ready myself except on sundays when my son has his dinner here and we has a bit of cheap meat not often fish it's troublesome if bread and things wasn't cheap i couldn't live at all and it's hardly living as it is what can any one do on all that i can earn there's so many in the streets i'm told in my line and distress drives more and more every week everybody says so and wages is so bad and there's such underselling that i don't know whatever things will come to i've no spectation of anything better in the time that has to come nothing but misery god help me but i'm sure i should soon fret to death in a workhouse the poor woman lodging with the blind street seller is herself in the same trade but doing most in boot and stay laces she has a sharp and pinched outline of countenance as if from poverty of diet and is indeed wretchedly poor earning only about sixpence a day if so much 
she is about the same age as her landlady or somewhat younger and has apparently been good-looking and has still an intelligent expression she lodged with the blind woman during her husband's lifetime when he rented two rooms letting her one and she had lived with the present widow in this way about fourteen years she speaks cheerfully and seems an excellent companion for a blind person on my remarking that they could neither of them be very cross-tempered to have lived so long together the lodger said laughingly oh we have a little tiff now and then sir as women will you know but it's not often and we soon are all right again poor people like us has something else to think of than tiffs and gossiping the blind street seller of bootlaces the character thoughts feelings regrets and even the dreams of a very interesting class of street folk the blind are given in the narratives i now proceed to lay before the reader from blind street folk but a few words of general introduction are necessary it may be that among the uneducated among those whose feelings and whose bodies have been subjected to what may be called the wear and tear of poverty and privation there is a tendency even when misfortunes the most pitiable and undeserved have been encountered to fall from misery into mendicancy even the educated or as the street people more generally describe them those who have seen better days sometimes after the ordeal of the streets and the low lodging-houses become trading mendicants among such people there may be in one capacity or another the ability and sometimes the opportunity to labour and yet whether from irrepressible vagabondism from utter repugnance to any settled mode of subsistence caused either by the natural disposition of the individual or by the utter exhaustion of mind and body driving him to beg yet i say men of this class become beggars and even lurkers as this is the case with men who have the exercise of their limbs and of the several senses of the body there must be some mitigating plea if not a full justification in the conduct of those who beg directly or indirectly because they cannot and perhaps never could labour for their daily bread i allude to those afflicted with blindness whether from their youth up or from the calamity being inflicted upon them in maturer years by the present law for a blind man to beg is to be amenable to punishment and to be subjected to perhaps the bitterest punishment which can be put upon him imprisonment to a deprivation of what may be his chief solace the enjoyment of the fresh air and to a rupture of the feeling which cannot but be comforting to such a man that under his infirmity he still has the sympathies of his fellow-creatures it appears to me then that the blind have a right to ask charity of those whom god has spared so terrible an affliction and who in the terms best understood by the destitute themselves are well-to-do those whom in the canting language of a former generation of blind and other beggars providence has blessed with affluence this right to solicit aid from those to whom such aid does not even approach to the sacrifice of any idle indulgence to say nothing of any necessary want is based on their helplessness but lapses if it becomes a mere business and with all the trickiness by which a street business is sometimes characterized on this question of moral right 
as of political expediency i quote an authority which must command attention that of mr stuart mill apart from any metaphysical considerations respecting the foundation of morals or of the social union he says it will be admitted to be right that human beings should help one another and the more so in proportion to the urgency of the need and none needs help so urgently as one who is starving the claim to help therefore created by destitution is one of the strongest which can exist and there is prima facie the amplest reason for making the relief of so extreme an exigency as certain to those who require it as by any arrangements of society it can be made on the other hand in all cases of helping there are two sets of consequences to be considered the consequences of the assistance itself and the consequence of relying on the assistance the former are generally beneficial but the latter for the most part injurious so much so in many cases as greatly to outweigh the value of the benefit and this is never more likely to happen than in the very cases where the need of help is the most intense there are few things for which it is more mischievous that people should rely on the habitual aid of others than for the means of subsistence and unhappily there is no lesson which they more easily learn i may here mention in corroboration of this statement that i was told by an experienced parochial officer that there was truth in the saying once a pauper and always a pauper which seems to show that the lesson of relying on the habitual aid of others may not only be learned with ease but is forgotten with difficulty the problem to be solved continues mr mill is therefore one of peculiar nicety as well as importance how to give the greatest amount of needful help with the smallest encouragement to undue reliance on it energy and self-dependence are however mr mill proceeds to argue and in this respect it seems to me to argue to demonstration liable to be impaired by the absence of help as well as by its excess it is even more fatal to exertion to have no hope of succeeding by it than to be assured of succeeding without it when the condition of any one is so disastrous that his energies are paralyzed by discouragement assistance is a tonic not a sedative it braces instead of relaxing the active faculties always provided that the assistance is not such as to dispense with self-help by substituting itself for the person's own labor skill and prudence but is limited to affording him a better hope of attaining success by those legitimate means this accordingly is a test to which all plans of philanthropy and benevolence should be brought whether intended for the benefit of individuals or of classes and whether conducted on the voluntary or on the government principle in so far as the subject admits of any general doctrine or maxim it would appear to be this that if assistance is given in such a manner that the condition of the person helped is rendered as desirable as that of another in a similar grade of society who succeeds in maintaining himself without help the assistance if systematic and capable of being previously calculated upon is mischievous but if while available to everybody it leaves to all a strong motive to do without it if they can it is then for the most part beneficial that the workhouse should bring less comfort and even greater irksomeness and restraint 
to any able-bodied inmate than is felt by the poorest agricultural labourer in the worst-paid parts of the country, or the most wretched slop-tailor, or shoemaker, or cabinet-maker in London, who supports himself by his own labour, is, I think, a sound principle. However wretched the ploughman may be in his hut, or the tailor in his garret, he is what I have heard underpaid mechanics call still his own man. He is supported by his labour. He has escaped the indignity of a reliance on others. I need not now enter into the question whether or not the workhouse system has done more harm than good. Some harm it is assuredly doing, for its over-discipline drives people to beg rather than apply for parish relief, and so the public are twice mulked by having to pay compulsorily in the form of poor's rate and by being induced to give voluntarily because they feel that the applicant for their assistance deserves to be helped but although the dogma i have cited respecting the condition of those in a workhouse may be sound in principle as regards the able-bodied how does it apply to those who are not able-bodied to those who cannot work and above all how does it apply to those to whom nature has denied even the capacity to labour to the blind for instance yet the blind man who dreads the injustice of such a creed applied to his misfortune is subject to the punishment of the mendacious beggar should he ask a passer-by to pity his afflictions the law may not often be enforced but sometimes it is enforced perhaps more frequently in country than in town and surely it is so enforced against abstract right and political morality the blind beggar worried by the police as i have heard it described becomes the mendacious beggar no longer asking in honesty for a mite to which a calamity that no prudence could have saved him gave him a fair claim but resorting to trick in order to increase his precarious gains that the blind resort to deceitful representations is unquestionable one blind man i am informed said to mr child the oculist when he offered to couch him why that would ruin me and there are many i am assured who live by the streets who might have their eyesight restored but who will not the public however must be warned to distinguish between those determined beggars and the really deserving and helpless blind to allow their sympathies to be blunted against all because some are bad is a creed most consolatory to worldly successful selfishness and alien to every principle of pure morals as well as to that of more than morals the spirit of christianity end of section sixty nine